Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett thanking you for listening to the broadcast today. And today we're going to be talking about marriage and how to keep it sweet. And, uh, you know, you don't have to have a bitter marriage. You can have a marriage that is made in heaven. You know, a woman wrote, Dear Abby, these words. Do all marriages eventually go stale? Ours has. My husband and I don't seem to have much to talk about anymore. We used to talk about our kids, but now they're grown and gone. Now I had no major complaints about my husband. You know, he's a good guy, but there's no more excitement. It just isn't there anymore. We watch a lot of television and we read a lot and we have friends over sometimes and we enjoy that. But when we're alone, it's pretty dull. We even sleep in in separate bedrooms now. Is there some way to recapture that old magic? Leonard Ravenhood said, you know, love is blind, but marriage is an eye opener. There's a report done by Reader's Digest, and they said that the number one question that people ask marriage counselors is, why don't we love each other the way we used to? Now, you see, the truth is, every marriage is always either growing together or it's growing apart because it's a relationship. It never stands still. If you're not growing closer to your husband or to your wife right now, you're growing apart. Little by little, relationships are either getting closer or they're falling apart. They never stand still. The proverb says this. Solomon said, Homes are built on the foundation of wisdom and understanding. Both, not either or. You need wisdom and understanding. You see, when you know scripture and you know what to do, but it doesn't mean you understand how to apply it. I want you to know today, we're going to spend a few minutes looking at this subject of marriage, and my prayer is that if your marriage is struggling, that as a result of this message, that you'll have this ability to hang in there, and that you can take a bitter marriage and make it better. You know the word bitter and better? There's only one letter between the two of them that makes some difference. It's the letter I or the letter E. The letter E is found in better. The letter I is found in bitter. Listen, when you put I in the middle of your life, you're going to be bitter, but if you put everyone involved in your life, you can be better. Don't just look at yourself. Look at how you can be a blessing to others. I guess I kind of feel like Paul in Philippians 1.9, he says, I pray that your love will keep on growing because of your knowledge and insight. You need both wisdom, understanding, knowledge, insight. And, and the Bible is very clear that you can have a successful marriage. Now listen, when you think about failure, when you fail to attend to the right things, that's always going to be leading to success and attending to the wrong things. Well, let me repeat that, okay? Failure to attend to the right things always leads to success and attending to the wrong things. So fix your thoughts on Christ. Fix your eyes on how you can have a successful marriage. Let me give you five keeps, okay? Uh, these are five keeps of a successful marriage. Number one, Keep on paying attention. Keep paying attention to your spouse. You know, whatever we give our attention to is what we love. You know, it's the most loving thing that you can do is to give somebody your attention. When you're paying attention to somebody, you're saying to them, I value you. When you pay attention to somebody, you're saying, you matter to me. You're worth listening to. When you give somebody your attention, you're actually giving them your life because your time is your life, and you're never going to get that time back. So the most valuable thing that you can give somebody is your attention. So keep paying attention to your spouse. The truth is, 
That's how you fell in love. You fell in love because you began to pay attention to somebody, and somebody began to pay attention to you. And if that hadn't happened, you would have never fallen in love. In fact, we even use phrases like, she caught my eye. What does that mean? She caught my attention. And when you pay attention to somebody and somebody pays attention to you, that's the foundation of a relationship. So before we can talk about anything else, we've got to talk about this. 1 Corinthians 7, and 34 says this, and this is the, the message translation. Marriage involves you in all the domestic life and wanting to please your spouse, leading to so many more demands on your attention. Now, as we look at this verse, have you ever noticed that your attention tends to wear off? And so does attraction. When you decide to buy a new car, for example, you you set your mind on it and you, and you go and you get this car and you say, wow, that's a good looking car. And you notice that they're out there driving around and say, man, that's a good looking car. I'd like to have that car. And you, it's got your attention. And, and so you say, okay, I want that car. And so you make arrangements and you go buy that car and you take care of that car. And when you first get it, right, uh, you wax it and you polish it. Uh, maybe you even park it in the garage and you don't let the kids eat in it unless they've taken a bath, right? Uh, you're going to go and you're going to get this car and you're going to keep it in tip-top shape. Fast forward about a year. Uh, a year later, you have French fries that are are stuck in between the seats. You have little Taco Bell pockets, uh, those little packets there, and they're smashed into the back seat. And, and that coffee that spilled and, and that milkshake that spilled and this, this wrappers from the Big Mac and the, or the Whopper that you ate and this dust over the dashboard like an inch thick. And, and what has happened? You're not paying attention to it anymore. It has lost its attraction. That happens with everything in life. Uh, you see a dress that you like at the store or an outfit that you like at the store and Man, it looks good. You go ahead and buy it. You say, man, I look good wearing this thing. And and uh, and you're looking at yourself and man, this looks pretty good on me. But about the fifth time that you wear it, you, you don't think it's that attractive anymore, and you, you you tend to it tends to lose its attraction. And I wonder how many things that you thought that just you had to have. I gotta have that. And now it's sitting over in the corner, maybe rusting in the garage or in a landfill somewhere, and and it's just taking up space. Stuff that you thought was very, very important has lost its attraction. If you have intentionally kept paying attention, you would not have lost that attraction. Now, ladies, I want to tell you something about men. Men tend to be, for the most part, goal-oriented. Now, now, ladies, unless you understand this, you're never going to understand the male psychic. Men are hunters for the most part. They set a goal and it says, I'm going to go after that goal and we're not going to uh, stop until we reach that goal. I'm kind of that way when we travel, right? And uh, we're going to make it to this point. And when we make it to that point, we're going to get gas and go to the bathroom, get something to eat off at the same stop because I have a goal to get to my destination. And the goal is to get there as quickly as you possibly can. So that involves stopping as few times as you possibly can. Now, your husband's goal when he first met you was to win you over, to protect you and to provide for you. And, uh, and, and that was lots of conversations taking place. And then he was so preoccupied with you and, and he loved you. And, and Psalm 37, one says, don't be preoccupied with evildoers. When a matter or a, a subject dominates you or engrosses your mind to the exclusion of others' thoughts, but that's exactly what he did to you. I mean, he was so consumed with you. He loved you and he couldn't wait to be part of your life and to provide for you and to protect you. But then 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6 says, 
For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are carnal, but mighty in God. They're not carnal, they're mighty in God, pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the nature of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, as I just read that verse, I wonder if you've ever been so preoccupied with what you felt you needed to say that you couldn't hear a single word of what your husband was saying or what your wife was saying. If you want to keep your marriage growing, you've got to keep on paying attention. Proverbs 18, 13 says, answering before listening is both stupid and rude. You say, why should I listen to my spouse? I've discovered that my wife really loves it when I listen to her. I discovered that as I give her my complete, undivided attention, that is her love language, quality time. You see, I also discovered that oftentimes, as I listen to my spouse, sometimes God is speaking to me through my spouse. You know, the Bible is very clear. In Job chapter 33, it says, God speaks in different ways, not different messages, right? Different methods of communication. And we don't always recognize his voice. God sometimes speaks through our spouse, but we're not listening. We're too busy talking. And so we may miss a message that God has for us that is going to deliver to our spouse because we're too busy talking. James 1.19 tells us that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Well, maybe you're asking the question because men, we have a hard time with this one, right? I show I care by staying aware, staying connected. If your marriage is going to keep on growing, you've got to figure out a way to keep on paying attention to each other. If you don't do that, your marriage is going to start to crumble. You've got to keep on paying attention. You know, attention is like a daily bouquet of flowers. That's what Bob Keyshawn said. Uh, That was Captain Kangaroo. Attention is like a daily bouquet of flowers. So keep on paying attention. Number two, keep on making adjustments. You know, life is a continuous process of getting used to things that we hadn't expected. In 1 John 3.18, it tells us, our love should not be found with just words and talk. It must be true love, which shows itself in action. In other words, constantly adjusting what we're doing to keep that love alive in our relationship. You know, during World War II, Cretan Abrams and his command were surrounded by the enemy to the east, surrounded by the enemy to the west, surrounded by the enemy to the north and to the south. Uh, You would think that this would really discourage General Abrams, but he said, gentlemen, for the very first time in the history of this campaign, we are now in a position to attack the enemy in any direction. Maybe that's how you feel like in your relationship. Man, we're surrounded. What has you surrounded? What has you tied down, fenced in? All of us have limitations in life. Some we will have to bear with, while others the Lord wants us to break through. It will only happen if you give ourselves and give yourself an attitude adjustment. Making adjustments. Philippians 2.4 says, Look out for another's interests, not just your own. Have you ever thought about putting your spouse's needs above yourself? Putting their needs first? 
Dr. Howard Hendricks has said people get married with a picture in their minds of a perfect marriage. Then after a few trials, they discover they aren't married to a perfect picture, but an imperfect person. When this realization occurs, they will either tear up the picture or they will tear up the person. So I encourage you today, make adjustments. You know, I'm one of these people that don't like to compromise, right? I, I, I don't think you should compromise on the truth. But when it comes to your preferences, especially in a marriage, it is good to compromise. Looking out for another's interests and not just your own. Honor Christ by submitting to each other, Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.21. In Romans 15.5, it says, May God help you to live in complete harmony with each other, each with the attitude of Christ Jesus toward one another. In other words, we should love our spouse the way that Christ loves us. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us the way that we need to be loved. That's how we should be loving our wives. It was Orville Wright who says, We were then satisfied that with proper lubrication and better adjustments, a little more power could be expected. The completion of the motor according to the drawing was therefore proceeded with at once. What did the Wright brothers have to learn? They had to learn to make adjustments. Proper lubrication, better adjustments. They'd get a little more power out of that engine, the little more power they needed to bring flight to that aircraft. The same is true in our marriages. Keep making adjustments to improve your marriage. Well, we've talked about two of the five keep-ons. We talked about keep on paying attention, keep on making adjustments. Number three, keep on showing affection. Romans 12 says, love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Oh, what a powerful verse. That is, love each other with real, genuine affection. No faking it. Genuinely love your wife. Genuinely love your husband. In Revelation 2, 4, and 5, Jesus told the church at Ephesus, the love you had at first is gone. Remember how far you have fallen. Return to me and change your ways and think and act and do what you did at first. Or maybe you're listening to me today and the best thing that you can do for your wife is to start loving her the way you used to love her. And you know, think about the church of Ephesus. It says they didn't lose their first love. They left their first love. When you think about affection, showing affection, somebody came up with this thing called the affection circle. As you look at the affection circle, if you go through this circle, you will discover that the affection and the love will return to your marriage. First, he says, I want you to remember. He says, I want you to remember and look back at what you used to have, what you used to love. Remember why you fell in love in the first place. I think about those good times. Remember those happy days. Remember that feeling of being in love and, and being affection and rekindle those feelings simply by remembering. You know, I remember when my wife and I were dating, we had a long-distance relationship. I was in Massachusetts serving as a youth pastor, and she was here uh, in Chesapeake. And so uh, that was back in the day where you had to pay 25 cents a minute for a call. We didn't have cell phones back then, and email was just getting started. And so we wrote letters to each other, and we uh, called each other. And I remember one month, I had a $500 phone bill. 
Yeah, paying 25 cents a minute, you can figure out how, how much uh, time I spent talking to my, to my future spouse at that time. You know, I remember those days, and I remember she'd write me these lovely notes, and I'd read them over and over again, and she'd put a little perfume in those letters, and, and I'd read them over and over again. I couldn't wait to get a letter from her, and, and, uh, and we actually, you may think this is strange, but we actually fell more in love the year or so that we were living separate lives, and I was in Massachusetts, she was here in Virginia, uh, but at that year of, of long-distance relationship, uh, we felt we came closer together to each other. You know, I, I was kind of worried about our relationship. I felt like uh, we were going too fast, too soon. And so uh, we intentionally had a long-distance relationship uh, because they say uh, absence will make the heart grow fonder or absence will make the heart wander. And so I said, I'm going to put a test to this relationship. And I want to make sure that this is uh, God is in the middle of this relationship. And even my, one of my wife and I uh, first started dating, I, I told her the first time I dated her, I said, now, now listen, honey. God has called me into the ministry, and I don't say that arrogantly. I say that humbly. I don't want to mess up your life. If you don't want to be married to a pastor, uh, then we don't even need to date one another, okay? Uh, that's how how adamant I was about following God's call for my life. I said, man, I can have a spouse that supports that call because I think the number one reason why men drop out of ministry is because they're wives. It's not that their wives are bad. Uh, it's not that their wives are evil or anything like that. It's just that uh, sometimes their wife didn't sign up for what the husband wants to do. And as a result, the husband may have a call to do something, but the wife doesn't share that calling. And so it causes friction. So in that year of long-distance relationship, my wife and I actually grew closer to each other. So remember what you first fell in love with. Number two, next is to return. Return to me. Turn your focus back to me. Maybe your focus has gotten off on some things and your, your problems and your pressures and your stressors or even your career, they, they've become your main focus and now it's time to return. He says, if you want to return to your first love, you've got to turn your attention back. Return to me. Refocus on me. Focus on your spouse. Focus on that relationship. So remember, return number three, repent. The third thing he says is to repent. That is to, to change the way you think the way you act. The Greek word for that is the word repent is netanoia. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. So first I think differently and then I act differently. Now let's review. Uh, love, first of all, is not a feeling. Uh, it creates feelings. It creates enormous feelings, but love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. It's a commitment that says, I'm going to put your best interest over my own. Anything other than that is not love. It may be lust. It, it may be attraction. It may be all kinds of things, but, but it's not love. It could be infatuation, but it's not love unless you're saying, I want to put your needs ahead of my needs. That's what real love is. And love is a choice. If love were a feeling, God couldn't command it because you can't force a feeling. Yet the Bible over and over commands us to love. He commands you to love others. He commands you to love believers in the church family. He even commands us to love your enemies. You know, sometimes I don't feel like loving my enemies. It's not a feeling. It's a decision. I decide to love. So if love were a feeling, he couldn't say, it's like a parent saying to a little child, I command you to be happy. That's not going to work. 
I'm trying, mommy, but I'm trying. You can't force that feeling, but you can choose to love. You choose who you're going to love and you choose who you're not going to love. So you can make a choice and say, I'm going to choose to love my spouse. I am going to allow myself to make this choice to feel affection toward this person. You know, when you do all that, it's called repentance. It is a change of the way you think and the way that you act. He then says, after you remember and after you return and after you repent, he says there's something else that's involved in this repentance. You do what you did at first. Do the things that you did when you first fell in love. In other words, act your way the way you used to act. Act your way into that feeling. Don't feel your way into that action. We said every session in going through this matter of, of feelings and love, uh, it's easier to act your way into a feeling than it is to feel your way into an action. You know, if you want to feel affection, uh, then make the choice, right? To feel, uh, to act that way. What am I saying? I'm saying when you do fall in love, you must counter to stay in love. It's not a one-time act. You must continuously repent of falling out of love, continually replace that with this feeling of love. And as you think about this, maybe you've lost that loving feeling. It's possible, right? Feelings come and go. Uh, there was a University of Nebraska study that was done, and, uh, and it talked about what makes a fantastic marriage. Well, this is what they discovered. They discovered that the common denominator in every great marriage was real simple. They spent a lot of time together. Uh, you know, uh, that being together will allow you to be, you ever notice this, uh, if you're having a marriage, marriage trouble, some, somebody says, well, why don't you go for a time of separation? Well, that's kind of foolish in my opinion, uh, because that is the beginning of the divorce. Now, if you want to work on your marriage, you, you got to spend more time with your spouse. You, you see, God wired us this way. God wired us that we need one another. When God created Adam, he says to Adam, it's not good that a man should be alone. I will make a help meet for him that is suitable for him. I want you to know that when you think about this relationship of a husband and wife, and that's what I'm talking about, husbands and wife, right? As a matter of fact, there's only one time biblically where it talks about a husband and wife being separated. And that is for a very short time so they can fast and pray. Uh, so they actually abstain from a relationship with one another for a very short time. It's usually a, a defined time. But then you come back together, and Paul's real clear as to why you need to get back together so that you don't get tempted. In times of separation, that's where you get tempted. You know, I've talked to lots and lots of couples, right? And during these times of separation, it isn't amazing that uh, the old boyfriend calls, the old girlfriend calls, they get together, and, and all of a sudden they get confused of what's going on. I was talking to one guy one time, and he, and he says, yeah, uh, the, the woman that I married, she was married to somebody else, and, and they were going through a hard time, and I started to meet with her, and I started counseling to her. I said, well, you need to try to work it out. And uh, lo and behold, the marriage fell apart. You, you were speaking so loud by your actions, she didn't hear what you said. I want you to know, uh, you think about the Puritans, right? Uh, many people think, well, the Puritans. They're the people that, that founded this country. They came over on the Mayflower. They landed in Plymouth Rock, and they started uh, our annual Thanksgiving dinner. Well, the Puritans, 
have kind of been given a, a bad rap. You know, we've been told uh, that they were prudes, right? The Puritans were anti-sex. They were prudish kind of people, but they, they were very uh, sexually active within marriage. You see, the Puritans believed that sex was one of God's greatest gifts that he'd given to the marriage, and they considered a lack of affection and marriage was actually a major sin. As a matter of fact, one Puritan wife in New England felt that her husband was neglecting their sex life, so she complained. First to the pastor, and then the complaint went further to the whole church, and, and her husband was, was avoiding having a sexual relationship within their marriage. And so the Puritan church took it seriously, and they proceeded to kick this man out of the church until he rectified this situation. So if you want to stay in love, right, you got to spend time together. Uh, You know, there's a great passage in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 26, verse number eight. It says that Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. I, I love that verse. You know what that word sporting means? It means that he was petting, caressing. Uh, he was going after his wife affectionately, okay? That's how God intended it to be. Well, join me tomorrow as we're going to go through part two. Uh, we got a couple more points to cover on keeping the affection alive in your marriage. Well, call me at 757-421-7500 if you need anything. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.